Ah, yes, friends. On a Monday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast where we are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht, Andy Makowitz, coming in, breaking it all down. A lot of things to cover today, Andy. You are, of course, as everyone knows, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, I'd be a little bit healthier with some vitamin D back in Florida, but instead I'm in New York right now and it's, I don't know, 35 degrees, a little windy, a little rainy, sleety right now. It's just the, uh, the welcome back that I needed, uh, for mother nature. Okay. I mean, listen, some people didn't spend a month down in warm weather. So this is what happens. Friends guy, guy goes down to Florida. All of a sudden he gets a little bit of what we like to call bougie, right? A little champagne taste for one of the hosts here on the podcast. The other guy, that's me. I've been here slumming it, living through the snow. So that's how you know. It's just a gauge where these hosts are on this podcast. But as we say, we got uh, front office news, coaching news, and then also player news for the New York football giants. We'll knock out one of the um, more interesting ones here from the QB position standpoint. Before we dive into uh, the giant specific content, there's something at the top of the draft that's starting to build up here that I think is worth tapping into. And that's this uh, QB Malik Willis out of Liberty. Everybody knows small school, but heck of an upside on this kid, they say. And coming out of the senior bowl week, some of the questions that were being asked of him were the inconsistencies, the accuracy, et cetera. But some of the quotes coming away from his practices, some bad weather opportunities to take a look at him on tape, the physical trace and arm strengths of Willis are always popping for you. However, the things that need to show improvement were mechanics throwing with anticipation, but now Coming out of this week where he got to play with some higher profile talent, better talent ultimately, it looks like some of the boxes are getting checked to go along with the rocket arm and some really pinpoint accuracy. The biggest point to take away here from the New York football giant standpoint is they're suggesting that if you want to get into the Malik Willis business, it could be now a top 10 pick that you're going to have to utilize for him, which means the New York football giants could sit there at five and seven and be fielding offers to trade back. Does that excite you, Andy? Do you think that the Giants should maybe be in on a Malik Willis as some Giants fans have started to kind of rumble about here over the last week? It's interesting for the Giants because um, if they do decide, if Joe Shane and, and Brian Dable decide they don't believe in Daniel Jones or they want to go a different route or they want to start getting younger at the quarterback position, then having picks five and seven really do afford the Giants a lot of opportunity to be able to go up and get someone like Malik Willis. I, I think the more interesting thing is, and this is the rumor that's kind of circulating right now throughout um, as we approach the draft, is that it looks like the Carolina Panthers at six are going to be the first team that really needs a starting quarterback. You know, <clears throat> Detroit, the, you know, Houston has Davis Mills. Detroit has Jared Goff under, under contract right now. Jacksonville has Trevor Lawrence. Then you kind of hit the Giants, right? And so the Giants are kind of that first anchoring point where you don't have to give up crazy top three draft assets to move up, but you want to get in front of the number six team, which happens to be the Carolina Panthers. Everyone knows that Sam Darnold isn't the answer there. Everyone knows that Cam Newton did not look, it looked like a shell of himself. So they're really the team that everyone wants to leapfrog. So the giants are sitting in a great position at five to be able to say, if we like Malik, let's go up and get him. And if we don't like him, let's use that spot as a trade back position for someone that really, really loves him and falls in love with him. Yeah, I mean, listen, if the Giants, I'd be hard pressed to think the Giants are going to move even further from five up to if they liked him. Again, who knows? Maybe it really breaks the mold. 
But to your point, I think you're in a good spot to be able to say if a bidding war starts to break out and people want to get ahead of Carolina, although I'll throw Houston into the mix there, though, a third round quarterback is not somebody that you feel attached to if you think that there's this new talent that's come up. So it'll be interesting. The worst case scenario here is that the Giants don't have an interest in a quarterback, but people want to get him, right? So that's all you want to see because going back a couple of weeks even, all these quarterbacks that are listed in there, Matt Coral and, you know, Kenny Pickett, all these kids were getting listed like in the 15, 18, 20s, right back into the first round. You need some of this buzz, some of this traction here to give the Giants as many opportunities if they want to come out of those top spots of the draft after taking a tackle potentially. Well, well, the interesting thing is this feels like it always happens when there's not a clear cut number one quarterback that's on the board, Adam, you get kind of all these different buzz things. Oh, this guy may go top 25. This guy's a first round pick. And then as you get closer and closer to the draft, like it just happens that quarterbacks are franchise cornerstones. And if you believe in any one of them, you're not going to sit back and wait. Like you just, you can't, you can't say, well, if he falls to us at 17, we feel comfortable. It's like, well, if you're going to hand him the keys to the kingdom and you like him that much, then you got to go up and get him. You can't just sit back and wait. You could say, you know, the Patriots got fortunate with Mac Jones falling in their lap, but look at what happened in front of them. Justin Fields, you know, the Chicago Bears made a trade with the Giants and moved up. They said, we love this guy. He's not going to be here at 20. And, it, you know, we would draft him at 20, but we got to go up and get our guy. I think it's the one position in the NFL where you can't just sit back and say, well, I'll just take the next best available quarterback. It's like, if you like one of them for one specific reason, you got to do everything in your power to go get him. If you have conviction, 100%, and that's what I hope all these organizations feel, because I actually, I, I've said this in the last couple of years, you should not be convincing yourself that you need this quarterback, right? You shouldn't be overselling yourself that you have to move up. When you see bad quarterback draft classes, and this one's supposed to be considered one of the weaker in recent memory, and everyone starts rushing up to get them, you're just trying to sell yourself on on a player that's really a back-end first-round talent. And that's where I think organizations do make mistakes, overselling assets and giving up the future to go get a quarterback because we have to. You can't find your franchise quarterback until you draft a quarterback, and sometimes you convince yourself. And in this situation, I hope a lot of teams do it. Mark my words, two quarterbacks will go in the top 10 no of course, matter what. Of course, it doesn't no matter. No matter what. Right? It doesn't matter. I know. And and, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a fool's errand if you are an organization that in the wrong year convinces yourself you need to go do that because it's not always true. You know, in the years right. when, it's, when it's Justin Herbert, when it's when it, if you knew right and you saw Patrick Mahomes, right? When these top end guys, when it's Josh Allen, okay, great. But the other years when it's a weak class, you're supposed to go, let's just take it easy, guys. Let's make sure we get a quality player. Teams don't often do it. And you sometimes see the 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 ramifications of that as the years play themselves out over two, three, and years four of a rookie deal when you find out he wasn't a franchise guy. The good news is the Giants may not have their franchise quarterback in Daniel Jones, but they did pick up a familiar friend, Davis Webb. We speculated that the Giants were maybe going to look to Buffalo to bring in a veteran quarterback to back up Daniel Jones, maybe compete for the job, etc. We were talking more Mitchell Trubisky. Turns out it's Davis Webb who the reports were the Bills wanted to keep him around in a coaching capacity, but he's just 27. He wanted to keep his playing career going a little bit more. What do you think about this beyond the humor of, of bringing back in a former third round pick of the New York football Giants? But but maybe in the, you know, I really, I thought of the Jets when they had McCown there and he was now a far more veteran quarterback, more starting NFL experience, obviously, but someone that they thought could be a really good sounding board. It, my, my impression would be this is the Giants leaning at least 
in this moment further into we believe in Daniel Jones. We can get him in place here and we're going to have a QB in the room with him who already has experience with this system. Yeah, I think and that's that's pretty much the the clear cut answer for me is, you know, being in Buffalo under Dayball, we're pretty much taking anything that Buffalo like anything that's not nailed down in the Buffalo facility is pretty much coming with us. You have Joe Shane, you have <clears throat> you know, uh, different uh, front office people. You got Brian Dable. We tried to get Ken Dorsey. We ended up taking the, the quarterback's coach and said, like, we're literally grabbing everyone and anything. We already signed um, one of the Buffalo Bills running backs to the to a future co- contract as well. And and so this is just the team doing their due diligence saying, we want to make sure that we have guys in camp, guys that are going to be fringe roster guys that we know that know our system so that we're not just starting over from scratch. And there is a world where Davis Webb, could end up being the backup quarterback to Daniel Jones this year. I think that the Giants will likely bring in someone that has a little bit more experience than Davis Webb, Mm -hmm. but it's nice to have some continuity. Even if he's a practice squad guy or a reserve guy, he knows the system and in an emergency, especially during the pandemic when quarterbacks can just like all of a sudden be on the COVID list and you you don't have them. At least this guy knows the system and can run it competently. No, that's what I think it is. Again, it's a resource for Daniel Jones to get him as up to speed in the new system as quickly as possible. So when you get to preseason and regular season, the the sample size you're getting from Daniel Jones in his fourth year is as accurate as possible to what he's going to be capable of for you. So that's a listen. It's a footnote. It's not it's not groundbreaking move just yet. And we don't think we're going to hear those kind of moves from a roster standpoint this early on in the offseason. The other big news, though, was reassigning one Kevin Abrams to a higher vice president senior role with the organization and bringing in Brandon Brown as the assistant GM underneath uh, Joe Shane. And just to give you the quick background on him, was working with the Eagles pro scouting department and college scouting as well, Uh, was an advanced scout and scouting assistant back in uh, 2016-2015 with the Indianapolis Colts. We've seen here in recent track record over with Philadelphia, I think they've done a really nice job identifying young talent in in the draft identifying young talent in free agency right like they've done a solid job building around Jalen Hurts and taking a team that everyone went well you don't have the quarterback okay well we still made the playoffs right we, we still found a way to be competitive and that seems to be in line with this restructuring of the organization to make sure that these role players that filling out the roster, right. They're bringing the young talent that you're getting the best possible sources for them. Because in recent years, it's like the giants are throwing darts, right. And hoping you hit somebody that's going to have talent. This feels like another good shift. I love how they set the scene on this, where they basically announced that Kevin Abrams was like, I'm cool with giving up my title. If you find someone better, like anytime you see that, like, do, do we really think Kevin Abrams went into someone's offices and like, I would love a different title if you could give me something that has less importance within the organization? Like, sure. who proactively does that, right? So, like, the writing on the wall is, hey, Kevin, we like you, your ability to manage Excel spreadsheets, even though we're, we have one of the worst cap situations in the league. Nobody um, PowerPoints <clears throat> like you. Yeah, no, no one knows how to hit. Uh, you know, some formulaic equations on Microsoft Excel quite like you can. But I really like what Joe Shane is doing because he really is turning this into his front office. He took a couple of days, got got his, you know, staff in order, talked to Kevin Abrams, was like, I want to bring in someone that's, you know, got a different background. And Brandon Brown has that. You know, he's been with the Eagles since 2012. He played, I believe, at Fordham. He's he's a a local New York guy. So, you know, he had an interesting college as well prior to uh, his time with the Colts. Ah, interesting. Yes. And so um, the other piece of it about Brandon Brown is he was a hot commodity. He actually interviewed for the general manager position of the Vikings, right? Like he was starting to get looks as a GM. So the Giants getting him as an assistant GM 
is a big coup for the Giants. And I think, you know, there, there's other, you know, corresponding moves that you're seeing with um, Mark Kuntz, I believe is his name, who mm-hmm. was the co-director of player personnel for the Giants. He is no longer being retained as well by the Giants. So Joe Shane is really putting his imprint on it, moving Mark out of, you know, out of his role, moving Kevin Abrams to a different position, hiring Brandon Brown. You see all the different moves that he's making. Joe Shane is getting the autonomy that we hoped that he would get to actually revamp this whole front office. Oh, listen, he said in the opening press conference, excited to work with the people in this building, et cetera, et cetera. And it was all the right things to say. And it gave you this little momentary pause of, you know, how many people are you going to retain? And now you're seeing, right, new assistant GM. You have all these new personnel, new roles being created within the organization. So this, again, I think does push you in an even more positive direction around Joe Shane and understanding what he was coming in to do and knowing that he had full, as we keep the big word, autonomy to come in and make the choices that he needs to. This is another step in that right direction. Uh, Just to quickly on quotes from Joe Shane about uh, Brendan Brown, Brendan has a strong reputation around the league as a leader, evaluator, and consensus builder. He has a progressive approach to the evaluation process. Brendan will help lead the player personnel department in addition to the scouting, et cetera. So it sounds like, again, in that mindset of, and this is that big shift, we keep we, we were always saying, you know, Dave Gettleman, Ke- you know, what is Kevin Abrams' responsibility or role? Well, he's the money guy. Well, now this is an assistant GM that's you know involved in the construction of the roster, that's involved in how we're going to scout and evaluate talent. Like, it, it's easy to cast Kevin Abrams aside in that regard, but I just think that this just makes more sense. Like you should be involved in the construction of the team at a GM position, at assistant GM, and right down through the coaches, right? In the scouting department, everything else. There's someone else in the building that can crunch numbers and figure out contracts and make the money work. I'd rather have an assistant GM that's tapped into the football side of it as opposed to the business side of things. Yes, because Kevin Abrams was more on the business and financial side, Dave Gettleman relied on Mark Kuntz. for his insight he was literally dave gettleman's right hand man in terms of like you should sign this guy you should hire this guy and he was there in carolina correct yeah but yeah and 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 so you know you had dave gettleman that was basically you know the judge and jury for everyone that was being signed brought in a guy that he knows and he's gonna get the sounding board from this guy of like i think this guy's good and mark's gonna be like you are right dave right like there's no there's no challenging there's nothing because kevin abrams does it again dave (laughs) How do you keep finding these diamonds in the rough? Getting Jonathan Stewart pride pride away from Carolina, and and you got him for the the low sum of three million dollars at the age what? of thirty two years old. Like, how did you pull this off, Dave? You're a genius. Like, I give me your genie bottle, and I want to make three wishes. It's like, it, you know, get all these people out of here. Kevin Abrams didn't have the you know from from what everyone says, he's the finance and numbers guy, not the actual like is this guy make sense for our team type of guy. So literally. Dave Gettleman was his own sounding board. Now you're bringing in Brandon Brown, who has a completely different background than Joe Shane, but Joe Shane heard nothing but great things about him. You have Joe Shane, who's who's grinded it out as a, a college scout, area scout for a while. Brandon Brown did a lot of the same stuff. Brandon is part of the you know pro player personnel is what he's been doing the last couple of years. Joe Shane has that great background on college recruiting and knows the type of guys that he wants for his system. I really love how they're compiling all this. And they're just getting rid of all of the old ways that we did things. Yeah. And again, Hey, this is our system here, Brandon. Now go find me the players. Cause that's what you're known for being able to do. Right. And that's, that's the indication of being adaptable. I know how to evaluate talent. Just tell me the type of talent that you want. The other side for the New York football giants then is of course on the coaching staff side of things. And a little bit of a surprise that came about here. We had heard Patrick Graham, obviously 
Uh, if he didn't get a head coaching job, then he was going to stay. Brian Dable spoke glowingly about him. And then cut to uh, you get Josh McDaniels hired out in Las Vegas as the Raiders head coach and Graham leaves to go take the exact same role over there. We're going to get into then who are some of the uh, opportunities for the Giants to find a replacement for him and whether or not that could be an ultimate positive. But just, I mean, quickly, were you surprised that Graham ended up leaving just based on perception of the way things had gone? It was kind of head coach or bust, we thought. My take was just that if you're Patrick Graham, this move will help elevate you for a head co coaching role that much sooner. I think that it's a better, more high-profile opportunity with the Raiders as opposed to what could be at least a minor step backwards potential rebuilding process for New York. So I think there's a lot of things for Patrick Graham. One is he interviewed for the Giants head coaching position and didn't get it, right? And so the organization is saying, we have other candidates that we like more than you, even though like you're him. our defensive coordinator, right? Like we, we're in like with you. We're not in love with you, Patrick, is pretty much what the front office said. And of course, the Giants are like, yeah, we'd love to have continuity with Patrick Graham. We'll bring him back. But what you realize in them saying that is, how long is Patrick Graham's leash at that point? Like yeah. they didn't hire him. He's just been there. He's a, he's a holdover from the previous regime. So if the Giants even struggle a little bit midseason, Dable and Joe Shane have no attachment to Patrick Graham necessarily, right? So like that's a big piece of it. The second piece of it is, even though it doesn't seem like Josh McDaniels and Patrick Graham worked together exclusively in uh, New England, they have some serious overlap with you know the 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 times that they had there, the players and, and different things. This resets the clock for Patrick Graham too, where you know, he's being brought in by Josh McDaniels. He's not just going to get a half a season or a year. Josh McDaniels is like, you're my guy. I want you. That's going to give him a couple of years of runway to be able to turn things around, in, in, you know, for, for the Raiders. And the last thing I'll say, Adam, is reports are that Joe, Ju Joe Judge might be in line to become the special teams coordinator of the Raiders. Patrick Graham and Joe Judge are, you know, from yeah. all the reports, best friends. And so, like, you get to work with your best friend again in Vegas on a team, probably making more money, and, and you don't have to deal with the New York media, uh, and you don't have to deal with New York who just said, we're in like, not in love with you. Like To me, it makes all the sense in the world for Patrick Graham to leave. And the second that they announced he was going to take the interview, I think everyone kind of knew at that point, like, you, you're not going to interview there to, to get both options and make a decision. You're going to say, if I get this, I'm leaving. Well, no, that's what it was too, right? Because all indications were, well, he's, he's going to stay. He had already done some interviews and that was done. Then all of a sudden this one popped up and the Giants granted uh, the Raiders the opportunity to interview him. The Giants could have blocked it you know, at that point, but good that they didn't. I, I think it's fair, right? Listen, if you want to move on, you want to move on. So the other guys then that come up here as we look ahead now to how the Giants will replace Patrick Graham on the defensive side of the ball and now reopens the whole can of worms around personnel and who's staying or going potentially. Things look a lot more wide open. They had uh, interviewed Terrell Austin from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He got elevated to the defensive coordinator role there, so he'll be staying. He's off the board. But now you get this slew of names. Uh, Wink Martindale, Vic Fangio, obviously uh, was a one-and-done there head coach. Was it one-and-done or two years with the Broncos? Um, but he was head two coach years. of the Broncos most recently. <clears throat> and then previously, though, as the D.C. with the 49ers, with the Chicago Bears, I feel like he's kind of that hot name out there on the market right now that teams are looking at. You get Mike Zimmer, Bob Babich, who has Bills and Bears experience, and then even uh, a somewhat familiar name in Steve Wilkes, who was the one-time head coach of the Cardinals. He had had some successful runs as a defensive coordinator prior, and then even a player, Gerard Mayo. It's no, that's how you know you're getting older when uh, when you're now here <clears throat> in these type of roles. 
who jumps out at you across this slew, right? Gerard Mayo is like considered to be this young, very rising star. He got interviews uh, considered for the Houston Texans head coaching job. So it feels like there's still a very nice pool here for the Giants to pick from. Who's who's your ideal candidate and who do you think is, is the most likely to get it? Oh, so those are those could be two completely separate very things. Yeah, very, very different. Um, you know, this this is a tough one for me because everything you hear about Vic Fangio, he's not a great head coach, but he's an amazing defensive coach. And yep. I forget who who someone posted it on Twitter that said, you know, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and uh, Matt Lafleur. They asked all three of them like, who's the hardest coach to game plan against? And they said Vic Fangio's defense is the hardest thing. All three of them did. And like, if you think they're the greatest offensive minds in the NFL right now, which most people do think that right. Two out of three, two, two of them made the NFC championship game. Um, you, you, you'd say Vic Fangio would be the number one choice. If you could get him, the giants have yet to either request an interview or bring Vic Fangio in, um, <clears throat> you know, Wink, Wink Martindale is kind of the guy I think the giants had zeroed in on. It's someone that I thought the giants should have interviewed and, and would have been completely okay with if Patrick Graham got the job as the GM, uh, as the head coach of the Vikings. Mm-hmm. I think Wink, he likes to bring a ton of pressure. Um, you know, I, I would, I would love to be able to see what he could do with this defense. Cause we do have a ton of different athletes on it and maybe running a different system other than what Patrick Graham was running in the bend don't break mentality might be a little bit more exciting to me. Adam, did you have a, someone, someone else other than wink that you, you would like to see? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, as you say, Fangio seems like the the most accomplished, consistent, maybe done it in a couple of different spots. Going back to when Wink Martindale had first been brought up, if Graham were to take a head coaching job, we said it's not a knock on him. He's you know kind of been a part of this organization over here that's very well run, et cetera. But that was even in consideration for head coaching roles, you know, it, it, with other teams as well. But being on the defensive side of the ball and helping to maximize the talent that you have here, right? Go back even this past season. When the Baltimore Ravens, I mean, they didn't even have a secondary and he was still manufacturing ways, right? To have some success, to find ways to bring pressure. They always have talented athletes, especially the linebacking role there, right? Ways to get after the quarterback in different fashions. I like them. I honestly, you know, when you look over this list here, you know, well, the Bob Babbage connection, I think is reasonable. He's considered to be kind of a rising name. Obviously he'd be coming from the bills as well. So you'd be talking about tapping into the familiar location for the GM, for the head coach, et cetera. Um, but, you know, Steve Wilkes, I think, is one that had such a bad head coaching stint with the Arizona Cardinals on that one and done 13 and three season that it almost felt like, whoa, you know, get, get your hands off of this guy. I went back and looked. He was a middle of the road in terms of defensive points per game allowed as a D.C. prior to taking the head coaching job. But I, I do think that he strikes me as a guy that was rising up in the minds of NFL organizations, got this kind of poorly timed opportunity with the Cardinals and then got shipped out because there was this new opportunity to get to Cliff Kingsbury and to rebuild, right? They pivoted pretty quickly. I don't know if he got a fair shake in in that sense. So uh, for whatever reason, Steve Wilkes just does jump out at me. And if I'm being honest, this could be for good or bad. For some reason, uh, Zimmer being on this list is just interesting to me. Like, I just think that he's probably, he is the Leslie Frazier name where you go, Meh, do I really care one way or the other about this guy? And then all of a sudden he comes in and maybe it's just this long run with Minnesota. If you backed him out from being a head coach again, would he be better suited to be running one specific side of the ball? So in that vein, I don't know what my hierarchy is. It's probably Fangio at the top for the way he's respected around the league. But honestly, if you told me it was Fangio, Wink Martindale, 
Wilkes. I, I, I don't see a bad route to go here. The curiosity would maybe be trying to look at it through the prism of how does it impact personnel on the defensive side of the ball and what might it mean for how the Giants would look to pivot or shift some things this offseason. Yeah, two notes on that. One is Steve Wilkes interviewed, I believe, while Patrick Graham was interviewing with the Vikings. Yep. And when he didn't get the job, they basically told Steve Wilkes, thanks, uh, but you are not going to be our defensive coordinator because they thought Patrick Graham was taking it back. So it may be a little awkward to be like, ha, just kidding. Now he's gone. We, we always loved you. You were always our number one. Um, the, the second is there's another name, uh, Sean Desai, who was the uh, Chicago Bears defensive coordinator last year. Um, he, has, he is interviewed for the Giants uh, defensive coordinator position. The reason why he's available is because Matt Nagy's whole staff got let go. Um, you know, at the, at the end of the season, they're going a completely different direction. He's another interesting name to keep in mind. He's probably a dark horse because he's a little bit younger. Um, he's not a name that everybody knows, like Vic Fangio or Mike Zimmer, who have had head coaching positions before. Would be interesting to see what the feedback is in terms of how he interviewed because you know he kind of kept things going with the Chicago Bears and their defense was you know it wasn't you know it wasn't a top five defense, but it certainly wasn't one where you sit there and say, what happened to Chicago? Yeah. And maybe at least then we get a fair shake. And I guess it's also reasonable to say, remember offensive minded guy uh, as the head coach, you've brought in offensive minds to fill out that side of the ball, going veteran, right? Going experienced, steady hand at the wheel. Wouldn't be the worst case on that other side. Let's get out of here on a bit of a fun note. We'll update all this as the, as the week moves along here, obviously, but this would be, had the Giants not made the shift that they did and hired a new GM and got a new head coach and really turned things over. This could be the proverbial salt in the wound, Andy, but let me go ahead and just read you off a quote here. I actually had reached out and wanted to be a Giant just because I knew this quarterback really well. Whitworth, there's the giveaway, my friends. Andrew Whitworth had said, but they kind of said no because they thought they were going to continue with Eric Flowers at left tackle, and that obviously didn't end up working out next year. Once we got into it and realized it wasn't an option, the Jets showed some interest, but it wasn't really something that I was interested in doing. Does it sting? Obviously not now knowing where we are and the progressively outlook we have going forward here, that Andrew Whitworth was like, hey, I'd love to come be a part of the Giants in the twilight of Eli Manning's career to help stabilize the New York football Giants for one final run. And the Giants said, I don't know. I mean, are you really that experienced on the offensive line? Are you really one of the steadiest players at that position we've seen in recent NFL history. I, I don't know if we want to go down that kind of road. Well, Adam, I think you got to think of two things. One is if we ended up signing Andrew Whitworth, then maybe we wouldn't have drafted Andrew Thomas, right? Who looks great. And for the next decade or so might be our, our preeminent left tackle, but more importantly, Adam, if we would have signed, you know, Whitworth, we, you, we would never have all the glowing reviews that you gave Nate Solder over the years for the New York Giants at left tackle. <laughs> we would have missed out on, on you your feelings, and you probably to this day still would have been like, the Giants should have gone Nate Solder instead of Andrew Whitworth. I mean, that guy was super talented. Now we, we, we'll just never – we'll never truly know how it would have played out. You know? what, what could have been? What could yes. have been? Went for a 38-year-old left tackle when you could have had the premier man on the market, Dave Gettleman, you bum. You're right. Listen – in another world, I could have been wrong, but guess what, friends? I'm almost always right. We'll be back again breaking all these things down. Follow us on YouTube, of course, where we're cranking out the content, the podcast feed, wherever you get those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, <laughs> nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go big blue. 